morning. Today is a special day. For the first time at Trinity, we will be formally recognizing the Juneteenth holiday that took place yesterday, a day recognizing the official end of slavery in the United States. And later in the service, we will come together to collectively commit to the Episcopal Church's covenant to root out racism. For such an important day like today, I've been struggling for weeks to figure out just what I am coming up here to say. I feel called to share some of the things that I have been, have been weighing heavily on me this last year. And even though I've struggled to find the right words, I responded to that call because I love our church. And like many of you, I believe strongly in investing emotional, physical, and intellectual energy into our church community. I grew up in Episcopal churches like Trinity, but it wasn't until adulthood that I started to understand what I truly, uniquely love and appreciate about being an Episcopalian. I spent significant time in more contemporary, non-denominational churches while I was in college, but I made my way back to the Episcopal church as a young adult because I find our church to be a place where I am uniquely encouraged and taught how to live out my faith in my daily life. A place where I understand that my brief time here on earth has a very important purpose. That purpose is articulated on our church website where presiding Bishop Michael Curry explains that in the Episcopal Church, being a Christian is not just about joining a church or being a nice person but about following in the footsteps of Jesus, helping to change the world from our nightmare into God's dream. Bishop Curry speaks to our lives, about using those lives to take action to make our world more reflective of God's dream. As Episcopalians, we are clear and repetitive when we say that we welcome all people to join us in realizing God's dream, which inevitably includes people that think differently from one another. We offer a multitude of adult formation study groups and ministries that ask each of us to dive deep into scripture, prayers, church history, and to share our different points of view and lived experiences with each other so that we can all learn to see the world and our place in it a little more holistically. To me, this way of learning and growing as Christians celebrates the fact that we can all think and feel and experience life differently, yet still come together to create a thriving community fueled by God's presence. In this sense, you could say I'm attracted to the Episcopal Church's allowance for individuality and for diverse perspectives, the belief that we all have something meaningful to offer as we work together to realize God's dream. I want to pause for a moment here, though, because while the concept of diverse perspectives and even disagreement can potentially have a beautiful connotation, we need to consider how these concepts affect us in other parts of our lives as well. It's no secret today that American society is incredibly polarized, politically and socially. We are Democrats or Republicans, pro-choice or pro-life, a good person or a bad person, stupid or smart, right or wrong. Everything has become a dichotomy and it's evident in our social media debates, our political debates, probably even within many of our own families, that it's become way too easy to vilify the other side without ever actually listening to them. As many of us align with one side or the other, it's become too easy to put each other into boxes 
Boxes that say, I already know what you think, and I think you are wrong. In this deep-seated polarization that our society has created around issues of politics, homelessness, religion, and especially racism, there is little room for learning from or even listening to one another. Rather, we are often walking around waiting to be attacked, waiting to defend ourselves before the other person has even begun speaking. What does this reality of our society mean for the church? For the Episcopal Church, and for Trinity in particular. Because like it or not, we are part of this society and we cannot realistically be immune to the divisiveness that permeates our politics, our news channels, and our social media pages. We all choose to come here to Trinity. And while I so value the room for diversity of thought that our Episcopal Church is founded in, I think that amidst the tension-filled polarization of our larger society, we need to be able to trust each other on what it is we do agree on. To me, that starts with agreeing on the purpose of a church, the purpose of our church. Agreeing on what it means when presiding Bishop Curry calls us the Episcopal Church of the Jesus Movement and on what we are a movement for. The Episcopal Church tells us what it means to follow Christ through the words of our baptismal covenant, in which we state that, with God's help, we will seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving our neighbors as ourselves. We will strive for peace and justice among all people, respecting the dignity of every human being. We've all heard and repeated these words many times. But just by being a member of the church and repeating these words every so often, do you automatically love your neighbor as yourself? I wish it were that easy, but no. Loving our neighbors as ourselves is incredibly hard work. It goes against many of our instincts, many of the things our world tells us we need to do to promote and protect ourselves and our families. But we are called as a church around this common purpose, to continuously strive to undo what the world tells us is normal and get closer to God's dream. So we must find a way, and I am saying we as Trinity now, to support each other in realizing God's call to love our neighbors as ourselves without falling prey to the same polarized arguments that are so ubiquitous in other areas of our lives. And that means that we have to be able to talk openly about racial reconciliation in ourselves, in our church, in our city and our country, especially in a church like ours that is by and large a white congregation. This is not just my opinion. The Episcopal Church has called all parishes to join in the work of fostering a beloved community, one where all members take part in naming racial injustice, and growing as healers in the name of Christ. If you go to our website, listen to presiding Bishop Curry or our own Bishop Rickle and others, you'll see that this vision for racial reconciliation has become a key part of who we are as a church. It's not something we can opt out of or determine isn't relevant here in our small corner of the Episcopal Church. Now there are many reasons why we, myself included, 
confined not to heed this call for pursuing racial reconciliation. Some common responses to the current emphasis on naming and confronting the legacy of racism in the United States include a belief that race wouldn't actually be such a big deal if we didn't talk about it so much. That in fact, talking about race is make, talking about race so much is actually increasing division between people who are white and non-white and ignoring other important categories that define us, like our gender, social class, or sexuality. Some think that the dominant rhetoric these days is asking white people to accept too much responsibility for things that happened in the past that they had nothing to do with. Some think that a few loud voices are getting to make the cultural rules for everyone else by deciding what's okay and what's not okay and shaming the voices of anyone who disagrees. Some may think that the experiences and suffering of white people don't matter anymore because white people are labeled as the common villain in all bad things that have happened in American history. I've felt some of these things at times myself. But whether any of these perspectives feel real to you in this moment or not, the danger in these ways of thinking is that it creates resistance to seeing or naming racism and its negative consequences. These perspectives make it possible, even likely, that we may have substantial disagreement within our church about the need for the covenant to root out racism that we will be committing to later today. What do we do with that? As a church community who has said its purpose is to come together in unity, to support each other in loving our neighbors as ourselves. Today, especially as we set ourselves up to examine that love within the context of systemic racism. My response, speaking especially to my fellow white congregants, is a loving but firm challenge to each other that asks, are we doing all of the concrete actions that we could or should be doing to make ourselves, our church, our city, and our country more reflective of God's dream, to make us more like the beloved community that Christ and the Episcopal Church call us to, one that owns its racist history and pledges intentional action to undo the intergenerational impacts of racism that are still so visible today. Like our baptismal covenant, the covenant to root out racism today will contain words and phrases that were carefully chosen by the Episcopal Church. It will ask us as members of that church to share in lamenting the church's role in the genocide of indigenous peoples, in the slave trade of African Americans, and the support of slavery as an economic institution, in the lynching of black people even long after slavery was abolished and in all the ways we have contributed to the systems that make people of color, past and present, more likely to be subject to poverty, mass incarceration, and police violence. We will ask for God's mercy and repeatedly use the word lament. <clears throat> lament. The definition of lament means to feel a passionate grief or sorrow. This is important. We are calling each other to lament in other words, to feel bad. The covenant is not necessarily asking us to feel guilt. Some of us may feel guilt, but it's not really the goal. 
because it is not the most productive tool or emotion in softening our hearts to love our neighbors as ourselves. Rather, the covenant is simply asking us to acknowledge the truth that horrible things have happened over the last 400 plus years to so many people and continue to happen today. And that being a person of color has exponentially increased the likelihood of suffering discrimination and injustice throughout America's history and into 2021. If you think being a person of color in 2021 does not increase your likelihood for experiencing danger or discrimination, I would ask you to ask any mother of a child of color if they agree, especially mothers of darker-skinned boys who have watched in fear the deaths of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, and so many others. The covenant will challenge us to validate the pain of these mothers and so many other people of color who have felt and continue to feel today, <clears throat> who have felt and continue to feel today uh, the pain due to systems of institutionalized racism in our country. To validate that while there's no question that suffering itself affects all human beings, this type of suffering is unique to having skin that is not white. As people who strive to love God and love justice, it is normal to lament, to feel pain and grief when acknowledging these truths. Again, to be clear, it is not meant to feel good. As we seek to love our neighbors as ourselves, instead of feeling defensiveness or being tempted to fall into debates surrounding us in larger society, these lamentations are meant to bring sadness, sorrow, even tears shed for the pain our neighbors have gone through at each other's hands, even if it was not our own hands that created that pain. In this, I am reminded of a quote from a 2010 meeting between Holocaust concentration camp survivors and American soldiers that had liberated the camp 65 years earlier. One survivor told a soldier, I owe you my life. To which the soldier responded, you do not owe me or us anything. This whole world owes you everything because what they took away from you no one can give back to you anymore. This soldier did not see himself as responsible for the Holocaust survivors' imprisonment, yet he still professed that the whole world, including himself, needed to support him in the aftermath of his suffering because the actions done against him had been so atrociously wrong. As atrocious as the genocide, enslavement, systemic segregation, and mass imprisonment imposed upon people of color in the United States over centuries. We celebrated Juneteenth yesterday to commemorate the end of slavery in the United States, a day when federal troops arrived in Texas in 1865 to enforce what the Emancipation Proclamation had put into effect a full two and a half years earlier, the ending of slavery. Only six generations ago, our country had to declare it illegal to buy and sell and hurt black people and other people of color without consequences. In my own father's childhood, black Americans went to separate schools, used separate water fountains, and many were denied the right to vote. Like the Holocaust, is there an expiration date on how long we should acknowledge or feel lament for the tragedies of our country?
What about when we see echoes of those tragedies continue? When people of color continue to tell us they do not feel safe, that their dignity as a human being is not being respected? Is our church a safe place to mourn these tragedies, past and present? A place to make a radical commitment to changing the world around us to be more centered on love and unity instead of division and hate? If that is our call, which I think it is, then we are not poised for an easy task. In the covenant, we will ask for forgiveness as a church, for, quote, a, having a lack of moral courage, for the resounding silence and crippling fear that often infects the church in matters of racial reconciliation and social justice. But we have no reason to think that just because the journey is hard, that it is impossible or not worth pursuing. Today's reading from 1 Samuel share the story of David and Goliath, where we see David, seemingly no match for his opponent, defeat Goliath by relying on a few simple tools and his faith in God. In today's gospel, Jesus calms stormy waters and asks his disciples, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? Yes, it will be difficult. As Paul shared in 2 Corinthians, the commitment to being a servant of God takes endurance and has many challenges. We may feel uncomfortable. We may feel fear, grief, guilt, anger, defensiveness, or vulnerability. But I have to wonder, what other choice do we have? We are Christians who have chosen to repeatedly commit ourselves to the baptismal covenant and today to the covenant to root out racism. We are committing to all parts of these covenants, not just pieces of them. And as we strive to live against the grain of our polarized culture, we can't undertake the long journey of learning to love our neighbors as ourselves alone. We need to take this journey together as we heed God's call to respond to the pain and suffering of racism that broke God's heart in 1865 and continues to break it today. I have hope. To return to what I said when I first started speaking, I love Trinity. And as we read this covenant today on Juneteenth weekend, my interpretation of loving you all as myself is to invite everyone into the process of racial reconciliation, one that comes from a place of love and seeks the best of each other and resists putting each other into boxes, but still pushes each other out of complacency, forward on the path toward realizing God's vision for our church and for our world. There are multiple ways to move forward in this conversation from joining the Racial Reconciliation Discussion Group on Realm, where we share articles and resources to support individual reading and learning, to seeking out documentaries that share people's personal stories, or lending your voice to the Vestry Group that is currently developing Trinity's mutual ministry goal for focus on racial reconciliation. Perhaps most importantly, considering joining the next round of Sacred Ground. Sacred Ground is a product of our own Episcopal Church. It is a long commitment with 10 sessions 
and it can be a difficult process. But it's an extraordinary program that our national church has invested so much time and love and hope in creating. After responding to the covenant to root out racism this morning, I encourage anyone interested to reach out to me or Sabeth or anyone else that you trust and to follow opportunities to participate in this piece of our Episcopal branch of the Jesus Movement. We'll continue to share ongoing opportunities in the Trinity E-News and on Realm. Most of all, I invite everyone to take even a small step, even if it's uncomfortable. Knowing Trinity is a safe place where we are called to grow together towards a fuller picture of God's love. I want to end today with a prayer from Martin Luther King and invite you to pray with me. Oh God, when our eyes do not see the gravity of racial justice, shake us from our slumber and open our eyes, O Lord. When out of fear we are frozen into inaction, give us a spirit of bravery, O Lord. When we try our best but say the wrong things, give us a spirit of humility, O Lord. When the chaos of this dies down, Give us a, long, a lasting spirit of solidarity, O Lord. When it becomes easier to point fingers outwards, help us to examine our own hearts, O Lord. God of truth in your wisdom, enlighten us. God of hope in your kindness, heal us. Creator of all people in your generosity, guide us. Racism breaks your heart. Break our hearts for what breaks yours, O Lord. Ever-present God, you called us to be in relationship with one another and promised to dwell wherever two or three are gathered. In our community, we are many different people. We come from many different places and have many different cultures. Open our hearts that we may be bold in finding the riches of inclusion and the treasures of diversity among us. We pray in faith. Amen.